The Be Here Now Network invites you to join Jack Kornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors for a two-year mindfulness meditation teacher certification program. Get the training you need to guide others in their journey with a powerful online training course and in-person teaching events. To learn more, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash GetCertified. Hello, and welcome to Here and Now. I'm David Silver, and I'm sitting in for Raghu Marcus. Raghu is in India. This is, in fact, episode 85. And it's a recording of a, a talk that Ramdas gave 40 years ago in San Francisco, 1975. And what I love about it, straight off, is that it, it might as well be right now. Ramdas's words in this podcast apply urgently and totally to this second as well. 40 years ago makes no difference in the stream of, of, of Ram Dass's inquiry and exposition and heartfelt expression of his experience in India with Neem Karoli Baba and of his own unique intellectual life, I can use that word, grasp of the of the unnameable and an ability to articulate it to all of us which means something and meant something equally so 40 years ago okay he starts off by you know saying the different strokes for different folks it doesn't matter which path your heart impels you to follow as long as that is the truth then it's going to work for you and you pick up all the similarities and correlations in all the other paths and boost your own ability to comprehend and grasp and work and behave in the manner that you're uh, aspiring to. But essentially, what Ramdas interpolates into this blissful sort of journey is that if you're not actually living on the earth as well as, you know, grasping the existence of a heart-based God, divine reality, and not looking at your weaknesses and your troubles and tribulations and your strange Maya-based interruptions of some kind of understanding of the universe, then if you're not doing that, well, then you're not really purifying this distracted mind. You're not really offering yourself into that fire of purification. That's why we call this dharmic fire. And, you know, a lot of great teachers these days, many Buddhist teachers, ones that we know, Sharon and Jack and Joseph, will talk about the fact that meditation and mindfulness is not a blissful experience necessarily, can be, but it's full of the witness seeing your own never-ending, relentless stream of thought consciousness of anxieties and hopes and memories and and all kinds of, of, of movement away from the meditation center point. Uh, so if one is not 
jumping into that fire and feeling feeling the pain and transcending that, then you're not really liberating yourself at all. And that's what Ramdas has always been so excellent at, at telling us, that the reality of the incarnation that we're put into, whatever it is on this planet right now, whether it be a you know secretary of state or a, a pest exterminator or a a really dis- disturbing situation with a, a migrant refugee in Croatia or, uh, you know, a member of the Chamber of Commerce in somewhere in Connecticut. It doesn't matter. If you're not seeing who you are and what you're doing and seeing if you're doing it, shall we say, in a way that's going to ameliorate the planet and your own journey towards liberation, then you're not really doing it. You know, uh, I mean, and you can feel that, you know, you're in bliss and you've, wor- you've worked yourself into that wonderful state and then, as he says, someone looks at you the wrong way and you, and, and you just freak out. You walk onto the street after the meditation, whatever, and someone just sort of gives you a look and you go, well, yeah, fuck you, why are you looking at me like that? Ramdas has always been absolutely consummate to be able to say, you must look at that, at what happens when you're with your own family, when you're in the line of the grocery, when you're waiting for a plane that's very late, when it's very hot and there's no air conditioning. Look at it then and, and, and look at the melodrama that's so frequently just instantly whipped up by the, you know, the, the ego scribe, the little dark ego scribing its unnecessary type of stuff at you when it, it should just attend to facilitating the vehicle. Uh, you know, Ramdas has always said, too, that every experience, and he does, says it big time in this, in this podcast, every experience can liberate you. It doesn't matter whether you're on the bus, in the street, in the hospital, wherever. And this will lead to, you know, a later thing in the, in the, in the podcast about suffering. But he uses this expression, which I love. He says, there's no irrelevancy in the whole system. In other words, everything is part of this everything mind, everything heart, everything. Hard to go there sometimes, but you are, in fact, part of this uh, completely indescribable whole. Universe, multiverse, God, Jehovah, Buddha mind. Uh, yeah, there's no irrelevancy in the whole system because of its continuing growth, even though it's hard to see. So, I mean, basically he's saying, you know, once you're awakened, you can't go back to sleep. And much, much of the time, I want to go back to sleep, just like in, in so-called real life in the morning in my apartment. You know, you want to go back to sleep. You don't want to wake up and face the world. But in terms of the spiritual trajectory that Ramdas is describing and creating for many people, you know, uh, once it's happened, you're not going back. You'll have bursts of really dozing and snoring, but you will go back, he says. In this podcast also, he speaks so eloquently about gurus, bodhisattvas, saints, teachers, helpers, and, and kind of emphasizing that they speed up the journey for us. Uh, they're there, and if, we cho- if they choose to take us or we choose to take them on, whatever that dynamic is, you know, they will speed up the journey, the dharma, the dharmic path, uh, finding it and staying on it, you know? I mean, he, he, he gets into the fact that you know, you've been asleep for millions of incarnations, you know, wanting stuff, desiring stuff, jealous of people, making big mistakes, being violent, whatever, you know, fighting off death because you don't want to... All of those there, all that, what he calls, what does he call it? The incarnational awakening process. And it can all go on and on and on. And then one day in one life, the veil is rent, as he puts it. And you see something and then it's, it's all or nothing. And you build towards that. So, you know, uh, another thing Ramdas gets to in this, in this uh, 1975 talk, think about that, 1975, what, what were other people doing then? Um, you know, he stresses 
acknowledging every plane of existence. You know, with whatever karma you have, whatever you know you are, you can look at it and say, that's my incarnation, that's it. It maybe is not it, it, but it is what I'm dealing with right now. It's my vehicle. He says, acknowledge every plane of it. I mean, I mean the physical, everything about it. You know, that it's all part of it. There's a paradox in here. It's all part of a formless ultimate, sort of. But we see form. And that's a paradox he, he explores here. One of the most beautiful parts of this podcast is truly his sort of explication of the horror of suffering. But who are the, who are the sufferers and why do we suffer? And how do we get freedom from it? And how is it, how is it still perfection with suffering in it? These are pretty fundamental questions. He talks about that a lot and about finding the equanimity of Buddha mind, you being that, you practicing being that. You know, he doesn't actually use the expression loving kindness, metta, in this, in this podcast, but later he would con- use that a lot. You know, finding that, that kindness and finding that clarity and not avoiding your own strange disparities within this particular, you know, karmic incarnation you find yourself in, being able to look at it and witness it and go, okay, I see what I'm doing. I, I may do it again, but I see what I'm doing now, that kind of thing. The ultimate part of this, he says, being to clean yourself of all clinging. You know, you, you've got to do that. Non-attachment is, is all that is, but I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to say, it is another thing to do it. But he insists in this podcast that you either liberate yourself or you get more entrapped. You know, maybe you're so too involved in, in, in the temple or the church or, or the meditation room or whatever that you, you think that that's it. When Ramdas explains gently but firmly that that is not it. The way is not it. The, 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 it is it, <laughs> but it is not what uh, the river flow. When the river flows into the real sea, that is not it. Uh, so... This whole podcast is really about jumping into that dharmic fire. And it's, it's brilliant, Ramdas. Uh, before I leave you, I just wanted to uh, say that if you're listening to this, uh, check out the book Love Everyone that Parvati Marcus put together, a book of all the, the Westerners who, who actually had darshan with, with Maharaj and Nimkarili Baba and uh, their, their words. Check it out. You can pre-order it now. If you go to ramdas.org, there's a banner at the top, and you can pre-order it, and it's well worth it. It's really, it takes you right there. It's immediate. It's a, it's kind of multiple sort of vicarious darshan experience. It's great. Uh, so, you know, you can get it anywhere, but uh, check it out on ramdas.org, what you can do now before it actually comes out, and it comes out on November 10th. You'll get it in bookstores and virtual stores everywhere it was a joy doing this for you and please uh, enjoy this podcast from 1975 see what you want is a function of where you are on this journey at the beginning of the journey you want to feel peace and to feel spiritual connectedness and you take your strengths and you work with them like if you've got a good mind you do yana yoga you study and work on intellect beyond the intellect. If you've got a nice heart, you sing to Krishna. If you're kind of um, lazy, you just sit and meditate. Okay. You work with your strengths. Okay. 
If you're a very active person, you do hatha yoga. Okay. But when you get really on with the journey, all you want to work with is your weaknesses. You want to make the fire so hot, you want to be able to do as Sita does in the Ramayana, to stand in the middle of the fire, and you are so pure that nothing burns, because there's nothing left to burn. That's the sacrifice. That's the offering of yourself into the fire. That's what the process of transformation is about, finally. And when you get to that point, you are just looking for the hottest flame all the time. That's when if somebody irritates you, you're delighted because they're showing you where your stash is. Because it's very easy to hang out with everybody that's smiley and nice and aren't we having a wonderful time and isn't it beautiful and we all love God and isn't that great? But you walk out in the street and somebody says, you goddamn hippie. And your whole thing goes like that, you know? Good, there's, there's, a, there's a great teaching that was just sent to you. I'm not putting you on. Because when you finally understand who you are becoming and how this game is divine and what your incarnation is about, you will understand that there is not an experience that goes down in your life that hasn't the potential for helping to liberate you. It is so perfectly designed. There is no irrelevancy in the whole system. And when you finally want to get free, every single thing in your life is grist for the mill. Everything. There is no space left. There is no time off. There is no one more pizza. There's no, you know. That's the joke I always, for those of you that are new to this game, of trying to get one more sense trip of just being the eater of pizza. Just forget it. I just want a pizza and I want to just enjoy it. Forget all this spiritual stuff and God and all this crap. I just want to eat a pizza. Just one pizza. Is that too, is that too much to ask, you know? And I sit down, and the pizza's perfect. It's really the essence pizza. Okay. It's extra cheese and everything, you know? And I take the first bite, and I'm just in my total... And the voice inside of me says, eating pizza. It's like the ancient master who you know has never gotten off on pizza at all, you know. Okay. Now I realize that he's just a sakrachana old man, and I say to him, that's your problem, baby, and I eat my pizza. Because okay. now I understand there's another game about God that I didn't know. But the predicament is that once you start to awaken, you can't go back to sleep. And you will try with all of your ingenuity, I absolutely assure you. See? That is what's called the phony unholy see, that I was talking about. The people that are trying to hold on to sleep, but they've awakened. 
because what lies before you is the fire. And burn, baby, burn, because you're going to. You may put it off for an incarnation or two. Because you see, God doesn't care. Because there's no timetable where conscious being is. God doesn't, God's not saying, my God, it's... It's you that suffers, not God. And the way the game works, and this is really far out, by the way, as if the rest weren't, but... (laughs) That it is, it turns out that it is your, your desire to get liberated or to get free or to get on with it or to awaken or to find God or to open to the Spirit. It's your desire that calls forth all the stuff that helps you, uh, which is called grace. See, there are all these beings hanging around. Some of them are on this plane and they're called gurus. Some of them are on other planes like Christ Ramakrishna, people like that, Saint Teresa, Moses, beings who, those of you that are familiar with the Tibetan Buddhism will know a thing called the Bodhisattva vow, who had the choice to return back into the formless. That is, there was no more individual karma for them on any plane of reality. And those individuals chose instead of returning back in to stay in form. That is the real sacrifice, by the way. And later I'll explain a little more about what those experiences are like or what that process is of merging back into God, which is beyond the concept of God, which is where Buddhism and Western religions come together. But some beings have chosen, have elected to stay in form on the physical plane or on other planes by choice. You see, it wasn't the crucifixion that was the sacrifice of Christ. It was leaving the Father in the first place to come forth as the Son. Because to, by choice, remain separate It's like holding back the orgasm. That is, and the reason that is done by such a being, since there is no more personal karma, is because of 
compassion, which is another word for love, which is another word for identity with collective karma or collective suffering or the condition of all forms. Such a being stays in form only to liberate other beings. And just as at 4.30 in the morning, every morning, Buddha would look out over the Buddha fields to see who was ready, who had the hand up, so it is that with all of these beings, it's like when Christ said, where a few are gathered in my name, I come, where you call, that draws such a being towards you. But these beings, which is the grace, because what they do for you, they don't take you and force you to go towards your reality if you choose not to go. But if you choose to go, they speed up the journey by what's called brute force. <laughs> but you've got to ask. But don't ask unless you want it. Because if you ask and then don't want it, you create much heavier karma than if you hadn't asked at all. Because to know and to have the opportunity and have the grace and then turn your head away, those choices, choices that come from knowledge, not from ignorance, create a very different kind of a karma than choices that come from ignorance. Because before you saw through the veil, even a teeny weeny bit, you were just a determined mechanical entity working out karma, totally asleep through it all. Birth after birth after death after birth after death. And each time you died, you fought against dying. Don't let me die. Doctor, transplant, freeze, amputate, whatever you need to do, but keep me alive. Because though all that time you are basically a philosophical materialist. And when you're dead, you're dead when you're a materialist. And then you're dead. And then a voice says to you, hello. And for thousands of births, when you heard that voice, hello, you said, well, I guess I'm still alive. And they say, no, you're dead. And you go into total confusion at that point, which is called purgatory in one system. And you stay totally confused through all the bardos and all the, sh the whole shtick in every system until you are totally programmed back into the next round. And again, you come in, you are born in, and by the time you're even born, the veil's already descended and you're busy being a baby. Yeah. And then you're busy growing up and getting old and sick and decaying and dying and protesting against dying and dying. And everybody says, don't leave us and you die and you deny the death and you wait and come back again. But then somewhere along, you know, round and around and around and around, the wheel, of, the wheel of the Dharma, the wheel of life and death, you come to one life where in the middle of the life something happens and the veil is rent just a bit and you stick your nose through or peek through with one eye. Wow! 
It isn't like I thought it was at all. I'm not who I think I am. And that little peak, which could be The image that comes to mind is very far out. Some years ago, I was at the Fillmore Auditorium one night when the Deb and the Jefferson Airplane were playing in the height of the Haight-Ashbury time. And I, I went into the men's room and there was a guy that came in who was on acid, as most of us were. And he had been obviously with a lot of friends and they've been having a speedy time and lots of music and external stuff. And he went over and he stood by the urinal and he had to wait to pee. And in that moment of waiting, I looked at his face and there was a look of total, it was that moment when it opened. See, he didn't want that moment, but he had to wait because his sphincter wouldn't open fast enough. And in that moment, he saw it, and I saw him freak completely, give up peeing and go running out, right? Back to find his space. It might take him lifetimes to acknowledge what happened to him at that moment. Because as that statistic, fascinating statistic in the New York Times, about a year ago in, a, in, a, in an article called um, Mysticism in America, a study by some Catholic professors, and it showed that two-fifths of the American population reported having a mystic transcendent experience. That's over 40 million people. But of, that, of a sample of them, 85% said, though it was the most powerful experience of my life, I never want to have another one. because they don't want to upset the apple cart, just as that kid didn't want to. At some lifetime, that veil opens, and from then on, even though you are busy denying it, it is a different journey from then on, because you know, and a moment ago, you didn't know. And you will know for many lifetimes before you can fully cop to what you know and begin to recognize that you aren't here on Earth as an earthling, you are here on earth as part of a process of awakening. But when you begin to recognize that, there is an error that creeps in, which is a process of denying earth. You get so busy looking up or meditating or whatever you do that you step over people, you just forget earth completely. But then you learn later the wisdom that in order to get home free, you have to acknowledge every plane of existence. No attachment or clinging, but acknowledgement. And one of the things you have to acknowledge is your body and your social identity and all of your games of this plane of existence and your social values and all of that. 
In other words, all of those models of ashrams and retreats and caves in the Himalayas, they are all part of a process. They're not the end product. The end product is not retreat from this plane. The end product is as long as you choose to stay in form, a free being who has choice to stay in form or not stay in form, stays consciously in all forms and fulfills each one perfectly. That is known as living one's dharma. But a free being at any moment can opt to leave form and there is no blame because there's no value system about that. And most beings that become fully enlightened leave form. Not all stay in form. It's not necessarily good guys or bad guys. Because at the moment when you're about to go into the formless, you look and you see there wasn't anything that happened anyway. You know how you dream at night and then you wake up and did you ever have the experience where you wake up and then you realize you just woke up into a dream, you're still dreaming? and that it was a dream within a dream? Well, here we are again. And then you wake up from this one. And in this, there was real suffering and real pleasure and real time and real space. It's another one. That doesn't make it bad or any less valuable. This is not devaluing human existence. It is putting it into perspective as to who you are. And what you are in truth is nothing less than God. You are God manifesting yourself as separate and ultimately awakening to the fact that you have been living out a dance of mind created by your own mind. And to appreciate the exquisite beauty of the laws of the universe, whether you approach them through the Kabbalah, whether you approach them through geometry, whether you approach them through the Torah, which way, through Egyptian hieroglyphs, whichever way you approach them, It is awful, it is breathtakingly exquisite as to the perfection of the design of it all. And this is the paradox that is the hardest one to live with. And after this one, we'll do some music and flip the space. The paradox is that when you have seen through and seen You honor the total perfection that lies within all form. You can call it the divine plan. You could call it the perfection of God. There are many names for it. You can call it the Dharma, the way, the Tao. You could call it the Tao if you want. They're all at it from slightly different angles. The I Ching touches upon it, the natural law of things. You see the perfection of it all, including the suffering, including the pain, the violence, the starvation, all of it. But 
If you get lost only in that channel, you are not free. That is, in poetic terms, looking up and seeing the pure white snow on the peaks of the Himalayas, but forgetting to look down and seeing the blood on the snow that is the bleeding heart of the Christ. Most of us that are leading, quote, a good life are still looking straight out and down, and we are overwhelmed with horror at the blood on the snow. Human inhumanity to human, to nature, to animal, to the divine mother of nature. Our own inhumanity, our own lack of compassion. We are horrified by the blood and we are trying to do everything we can to alleviate the suffering that we see all around us. But we are suffering and there is only a limited amount of relief of suffering that can be done by he who suffers. It is said that somebody in quicksand cannot free another. The freedom from suffering comes from the acknowledgement of the perfection as equally as valid as the suffering. So that simultaneously you exist on this plane doing everything you can in every way to relieve suffering, but you yourself are not suffering because you are perfectly aware of the perfection of it all, including the ways in which you suffer. And that perception releases you from identifying with that in you which is suffering. You don't deny it. There is suffering, but you aren't suffering. You, a soul, that awareness, that perfectly clear awareness does not, is not suffering. It's the attachments that create the suffering. Because you aren't formed to begin with. And a free being, if they give you food, there's nobody in there saying, I'm giving you food. So there's nothing in that act of giving the food which pushes people apart, which is the problem of giving and receiving. That's why Patanjali says, no giving and receiving. Not that there isn't giving and receiving, it's just that you don't get hung up in attachment to being the giver or the receiver. In other words, the conscious being lives fully on this plane, totally compassionate to all of the suffering and the ways of releasing it, at the same moment is perfectly equanimous, perfectly tranquil, perfectly a statement of the Christ consciousness of the Buddha mind, of that absolutely empty, full love, that diamond crystal clear space. And it's not an intellectual witness, and it isn't um, centered. You are that. You are that, and at the same moment, in the doing of nothing, because there is nothing to do, because nothing happened, 
All of the stuff is happening through your forms and planes of existence and reality, which exist on many planes simultaneously. The answer to... There is no polarity between social action and living in the spirit. That is phony. That's a cop-out in both directions. For to live in God means to live in God, and God is here and there, and neither here nor there. But once you have looked up, you can't make believe you haven't, and the looking up means that ultimately you have to recognize that you are here in earth in order to know and become God. That is what your business is here. And ultimately you marry in order to come to God, you work in order to come to God, you eat in order to come to God. I'm not telling you, I'm not selling you a bill of goods. I don't give a damn when you do it. Because to be truthful with you, you can only do it as your dharma will allow. I'm just telling you how it inevitably must be for every being, one life or another. And these words will feed into you, and you may hear them this lifetime, and you may hear them a hundred lifetimes from now. Because ultimately, nothing of the world has a pull to pull you away from your business, even though you stay in the world and do what you must. Because there is no form to the spirit. There is no form for getting to God that's any better than any other form. Beads, holy uniforms, sitting like this, eating this or that, bullshit. None of it is the thing that will get you to God. They are all methods, and methods are all traps. Don't deny the methods, use them, but don't identify the method with God, because it isn't. It is, but it isn't. You can't look holy from outside in. You've got to be it, and to be it, there's no holding anywhere. No holding anywhere. You've got to be so squeaky clean. Not a crevice of clinging left. It's a heavy journey. And why would you do it? Because you've got to do it. Okay. Along the way, there'll be numerous incentives, like unbearable ecstasy and bliss. Like the fact that as you come close to being with God, you're entering into a continuous state of orgasmic bliss that never ends, in which there is no beginning and there is no end. Because Channel 9, where you are the Ancient One, that is what your state of sexual orgasm is. Because at that moment, you, there's no four arms and two heads and... Boy, this is great, isn't it? That's the moment after and the moment before. 
At the moment of orgasm, there's just the flow of the universe. But the problem with sex is that that one is in time. And ultimately, it's not bad or good about sex. Sex is just what it is on what planes it is. It is only ultimately that something more pulls you. And when you get to the point that all your actions are determined by whether they liberate you or entrap you, and that is your choice, moment after moment after moment, the minute you recognize liberation is possible, from then on, you have real choice to go in harmony with the will of God or to go against the will of God, moment by moment. That is the same choice that Adam and Eve had with the apple in the garden. That is the initial choice. The choice to go away from the Tao or to go into the Tao. The mind, the intellect is based on separateness. As long as you identify with your intellect, you are stuck in dualism. As long as you're stuck in dualism, you are out of the flow. When you are in the flow, your mind is your servant and you can use dualism because you are not dualistic. Wow, it's really pouring out tonight, isn't it? This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you. Thank you.